Thank you for listening to Truth in Life, a concise Christian belief series. This class was taught on a Sunday morning at Christ the Word Church because we believe that God's Word is truth and that His truth should shape our lives. For more information on our church, visit ChristTheWord.com. So last week, we, two weeks ago, we talked about what the church is, the nature of the church, all right? From the Bible, we looked at what the Bible said about that. Last week, we started getting into um, its work. What does the church do? We said that it was the hope of the nations. We talked about the creation mandate and the Great Commission. Um, And we looked at Acts chapter 2, which gives us a picture of the nature and the work of the early church in the time of the apostles. And why do I say that? Why do I say it that way? Well, I say in the time of the apostles because the apostles were the men that Jesus Christ had brought out, brought to himself, and set aside for the work of carrying out the building of the church. Do you understand that? So when we talk about apostleship and the, the, the teaching and the preaching of the apostles, that's no small thing. Jesus selected those men and commissioned them, sent them out to do this work. And so when we get to Acts chapter 2, and it says the churches that, that the apostles have started, this is Jerusalem, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. We're getting a picture of what the early church life looked like and their devotions. And so historically, these are, these are the devotions of the early church. Uh, these four things. Being devoted to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. These four devotions, uh, you may not hear of them referred to as such often today. Um, But how many of you have heard of the term means of grace before? Show of hands. Okay, so half. Um, The Westminster Confession talks about something called means of grace. And, And there's, and there's, and there's, then a, a kind of carve out where the ordinary means of grace and then other types of means of grace. It's a, it's a, it's a designation, a term that we'll talk about here in just a minute. But it comes from Acts chapter 2. If you look at the, the men that put together the Westminster Confession of Faith, and that is our governing document. That is our, when somebody asks for a confession, what do we believe? We print, off, we print it off and hand it to them, all 898 pages. No. <laughs> No, it's not that long. It's actually quite short. It's, it's a masterful piece uh, of, I don't know what you'd call it, of not, it's a confession. It's not literature. It's not, see, my mind's searching for what it actually is. It is very structured and goes through what we believe the Bible says about particular theological topics. And it's very systematic. It builds and it builds and it builds. And every single thing in there has footnotes. And if you look on the section, I think it's actually in the Shorter Catechism question 88, if I'm not mistaken, from my ordination exam days. <laughs> it asks what the, what the ordinary, what the means of grace are, and it references Acts chapter 2, verses 47 or 48, whatever it is, this, this verse. They are continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. So, when we hear means of grace, we, under, we should understand, hopefully from here on out, that those, those ideas, those means of grace, what we believe the means of grace are, come from these early devotions of the church. 
Any questions on that? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to. Right now. The ordinary means of grace. What does this term mean? Okay, well, let's start with... Um, Let's start, let's start with Matt's question. Grace, can you define it? What, how do we define grace? God's favor. God's favor? Unmerited. unmerited favor. Okay, yeah, but we're not going to pin you on that, right? Yeah, okay. What else? Power, power okay. God's power? Um, yes, and you say that because sometimes we pit grace against change or any power in the Christian life. What's another common definition? Getting something we don't deserve, yeah. Um, I think that we all have an understanding of what grace is in general, but I want to point something out to you. What I want to point out is that, um, well, Actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. I think we all understand what grace means in a general sense. So when we say the ordinary means of grace, what does that mean? It's transformative. Uh, God, yes, if we're not being transformed, yeah, God's, the Holy Spirit works in us to transform us. But the ordinary means of grace, I, I just want to break down that phrase for a minute. Ordinary, let's just start like Martha would in her classroom. First word, ordinary. Why does it say ordinary means of grace? Well, a couple of reasons. One is that it is ordained. It is ordained. These means have been, we didn't make them up. We didn't decide. This is how I want God to work in me. That's not how God works. He doesn't give us the option of saying, this is the way I want you to come at me, God. You know, this is the way I want you to work in me. No, they're ordained by him, okay? So they're ordinary, ordained is in that word, you, right? And the other thing is they are not what? Silas. They're not extraordinary. They are ordinary. You understand? He, he comes from a charismatic background. So, so, and I, I, I love many, many, many charismatics. But what I'm saying is, is they are not extraordinary. They are ordinary. They are the regular way that God works. Right? They're the normal way that God works. Um, when we think about this phrase, it might be confusing because um, means of grace. When we think about this, this phrase, means of grace, it might be confusing because most of the time that the modern church today talks about grace... It's in reference to the grace we receive from God alone. And that's true. Everything that you guys said when I said, what's grace? What is grace? Those definitions were good, but they kind of went along in line with the verse, for by grace you have been saved, right? Like that would be the footnote under, under that, right? Unmerited favor. By grace you have been saved. And while this is a very significant usage of the term, it is not the only way that Scripture uses the term grace. So I want to just read a couple of verses to us. Um, 2 Corinthians 9.8. You could jot this down on your page. I didn't include them. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you might abound in every good work. 
Now, that's not referencing, that obviously has to do with saving grace, because how, if we weren't saved initially, how can we go on to do that? But that's not in reference to being saved, and unmerited favor, and for by grace you have been saved in that sense. Are you with me? He's talking about giving us grace so that we might abound in all times, in all situations, to do every good work. You with me? Octavio, you with me? Okay, we're going on. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Jesus said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. For by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me is not in vain. On the contrary, I work harder than all of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. I worked harder Paul's saying that's the effect of God's grace in his life, right? And so, when we talk about the means of grace, we are talking about, in effect, I use the term, the delivery systems. Like, you guys have, you know, UPS drivers that come to your house, FedEx drivers, USPS drivers, random vans that who knows what is driving with a sad-looking sticker slapped on the side of that thing. You know, what has happened with the delivery systems in the U.S. over the last 10 years? Matt? <laughs> I think of mean, when you think about, when you hear the term, and you may not hear it very often, but when you hear the term means of grace, think of it as the delivery systems that God has instituted, ordained, to bring to us not just saving faith, but every blessing. Every reassurance, every spiritual awakening, every strength and fortitude that we need in our Christian life to keep persevering. Any questions on that? I know I'm going fast, and I don't like fast. I like very slow, apparently. But I need to keep going unless there's a question. So the means of grace are God's delivery system to us. Um, grace comes okay grace so going back to our class last week the church has been given the great commission and the primary way that we carry out that commission faithfully is by making use of the means of grace that are highlighted in acts these four devotions what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to connect this passage from acts 2 which I know I'm referencing one verse, but we could go throughout the New Testament and I could rope in, lasso in a whole lot of other verses that point back to Acts chapter 2, okay? I'm trying to take Acts 2 and what we see there in the early church under the apostles' teaching and leadership and tie it to a theological concept called means of grace and show how they're, they're analogous with each other. They, they're, they're, they, they're almost like two different ways of referring to the same type of thing. And the those things, those, those things, the word and prayer and sacraments, the breaking of bread with other believers, believers um, are God's normal delivery system, the way he gives us his spiritual power and provides for our needs. Is that, is that good? Are we good? Okay. So having said that, we have 30 minutes. So if I was perfectly fair, I would do 10 minutes for preaching, 10 minutes for baptism, 10 minutes for 
the Lord's Supper. We'll see how it goes. Aha! Uh-huh. With the remainder of our time, I'd like to touch on the first two means of grace. All right? we're not, that, this means that we're not going to talk about fellowship, um, and we're not going to talk about prayer. And I just don't know how to cram four in, because that's down to five minutes. Okay? Per. <clears throat> the first of the four devotions of the Jerusalem church was the teaching of the apostles and the preaching of the word. What did they teach? What did they say? Well, by God's grace, we don't need to guess, do we? Many, many, many of the things that they said, they wrote in their epistles. Those epistles were their words to the churches, right? Continuations, perhaps, even of the sermons that they spoke when they were physically present with those men and with those women. And as we think about the words of the apostles, we must always remember that just like with the prophets before them, their words were not just the words of men, but the very words of God. The words that Paul wrote in his epistles are the words of God to the churches of Corinth and, and Ephesus and so forth. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. And as we said last week, in a day of individualism, when individualism owns our hearts, remember we we talked about having our own theme music, you know, the ear pods. In that sort of day, we need to recognize that the normal teaching, the most normal teaching God has promised to use to call men and women to faith, therefore fulfilling the Great Commission, is the preaching of the Word. And you may say, whoa, 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 wait, we have scripture, and I don't have time to get into this this morning, but one of the things I would say you need to remember is we have only had Bibles for the last 500 years. You think about that. The early church, it was all preaching of the word. Most people had no Bible they could go into and read. So you understand the importance of the preaching of the apostles and devoting yourself to the teaching of the apostles. Remember that kind of a striking thing. I think we always read the Bible and assume everyone always had 15 Bibles and you know, every translation in their pocket on their phone. It's not true. It's a blessing. And as we'll maybe make some applications at the end, it's a huge response. I mean, we have been given this blessing. What are we doing with it? Right? But I'll, I'll repeat what I just said. In a day of extreme individualism, when it owns our hearts, we need to recognize that the normal tool that God has promised will call the world to himself is the preaching of the word. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they're sent? Just as it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So we continue to devote ourselves to the teaching of the apostles today by heeding God's word preached. It's like, how do we do that? We don't have any apostles here, and we don't believe that there's still an apostolic line like the Catholic Church does, where, you know, we're the seat of the, of the great apostle. We're in the seat of him. So how do we do that? We do it by heeding the word preached. Those who are diligent in their search for God's will attend church. That could get into fellowship, but we're not going to go down that road. They attend church each, each Sunday, And they love to be with God's people assembled for worship. They hunger and thirst 
for righteousness, and so they, were, they will be there, and they'll be attentive. Does this make sense? On the other hand, um, those that are proud won't be in church on Sunday. Or they'll be in church, but they'll be sitting on, in, in judgment on those that are around them. Their minds will be distant, their, their hearts will be proud and hard. And there are Sundays where I have been like that. And there are Sundays where you've been like that. Where I'm, maybe it's because I'm angry, but I'm hard-hearted and proud and I'm not gaining anything from this grace that God has provided from me. We'll talk about that, Lord willing, at the end. We're not all making the same use of God's grace. Some of us are using it more and, and receiving more from it. When I'm in church and I'm, my mind's wandering, I'm angry, I'm distracted, I'm not making use of this wonderful grace that God has provided, this delivery system to give me strength and encouragement and rebuke and, and so many things. <clears throat> okay. Um, I want to say, as I, I've thought about this class, I am, I always feel the need to say I'm extremely grateful for the love and the commitment that our church has. Uh, you know, I, I talk about those that don't attend church. And honestly, we, we have a church that, that is extremely committed to worship. I mean, I, I think we all knew this coming through COVID. I mean, you could see most churches, sadly, were shut down for weeks, months. I mean, dare I say years? I don't know. I mean, and sadly, some never came back. Now, I think we see this commitment to worship in our church, and I praise God for it. Um, but this expectation is, it, 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 culturally, is just not there. It's really sad to me. I have friends that are pastors in other churches, and they're friends. I'd say they're friends. Um, and they have told me that they structure their, their series to be, you know, three to five weeks long because they've determined that's the interval that most people come every three to five weeks. And so their idea is that out of every series, the average attender will hear one sermon on one topic per series. Now, you can, we can look down our noses at that. But I'm, I'm saying that's where we're at in a lot of churches in America, and that's a very bad spot to be at. It points to all sorts of issues, one being that there's no commitment to the church, and pastors aren't calling, their ch pastors aren't calling on people. The expectation level is down here, all right? Um, so there's lots of issues, and I, I praise God and give thanks to God for what he's given us here, but we need to continue to to, to foster this in our children and in those that come. And even if we're sitting here, there were many Israelites who made sacrifices in the Old Testament, and God said, it's a stench to me, because their hearts weren't right. Their minds weren't set. And so even if we're here every week, come expectant and ready and engaged. Expect great things of God, because this is, this is one of the means that he's promised to work in us through the preaching of the word, okay? Notice that we need to be devoted to it. The church was devoted, devoted to the apostles' teaching. What are some things you're devoted to? This is not hy hy hypothetical. rhetorical, hypothetical. What's something you're devoted to? Okay, spouse. Yep, 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 spouse. Thank you. What else? 
job, hopefully your job, right? Okay, your children, yes? Lions football. I was thinking of you, Steve, with hunting, only because I've had several hunting conversations recently. With, not with you, but with hunters in the church. I, 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 years ago, at the SDA building, somebody came, up, somebody came up this weekend with an Ohio State windbreaker on for the prayer of confession. <laughs> It wasn't a full-on, lo- it was a little logo, but I still thought, oh my. <laughs> um, what's included in being devoted to hunting or your spouse or children or whatever? Time. Time. Commitment. Commitment. What else? Love. Love? Yeah. What? Grace. Grace. Yeah. Priority. Okay, what about Pain. You mentioned lions. That's joke. But what about children? From childbirth through teenage years, much pain, undergirds, the things we're most devoted to. Now, I'm not saying it's all misery, and, but there's just oftentimes hard things in the things we love most and the things we're most devoted to. Any area where you're most devoted, it is going to cause you pain. There's going to be hardship. There'll be extreme joy, love, all those good things. But it's the full range, anything you're fully committed to, right? Um, money perseverance. All these things must be, I was, the reason I thought of hunting is because I talked with a couple guys and they were like, yeah, I was up at four o'clock and I sat dead still for, you know, four hours and didn't even breathe hardly, you know, I still didn't get anything. You know, I was like, that's real devotion. You know what I mean? People are really devoted to that, even if it causes pain in the end because they come away without any venison or antlers or anything. They didn't make, get Asher or Blitzen or Rudolph or any of them. Okay, um, so devotion to the word, uh, the word preached. Um, this, is, this is what the early church did. This is a means of grace to us. This is a means that God has given us, the preaching of the word. And here's the one final thing I'll say about this. It leads to a question. Um, why on earth did God choose to have men engage in the work of preaching rather than just give us all a direct line? Or why did he start with preaching rather than just giving you all Bibles right from the days of the early church? Why did God do that? God could have made his voice audible when we prayed. God could have left Jesus here on earth to answer all of our questions. Why did he choose preaching? Why did he choose the teaching of the apostles that were men like Peter that doubted and and were crazy and were impulsive at times? Or James or, you know, Thomas or, or, you know, Thomas wasn't. Um, This is an interesting question and one that we should ponder. Uh, Don't we think that there might have been a more effective way for men to hear from God and to come to saving faith as as a result? If, If God could have thundered from heaven audibly or or sent angels. Uh, we're going through Hebrews. He could have sent angels, and he has sent angels, but he didn't choose angels to be the ones that carry forth this, this, this word to, to men and women on a weekly basis. I want to read to us from John Calvin's Institutes here because he answers this question of why. Why did God choose the preaching rather than the, 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 the printing press 
2,000 years earlier, 1,500 years earlier. And what Calvin says is he could, he could have indeed done it by angels, but there are many reasons why he prefers to do it by means of men, by the preaching of men. This is the best and most useful exercise, and, uh, I'm sorry, this is the best and most useful exercise and humility when he accustoms us to obey his word, even though it be preached through men like us, and sometimes even by those of lower worth than we. That's what Calvin says about why would God choose preaching by other men as a means of grace. He says that when you have to listen to the word preached by men that are sometimes of even lower worth than you, it's a great exercise in humility for both of you, and you get the word of God undiluted and polluted by your own pride. Because you have to take it from somebody else's hand, another man's hand, right? That's what you, you don't get to just read it by yourself, sitting on your bed, thinking lofty thoughts. You have to hear it through the mouth of another sinful man. And that keeps that sinful man humble, and it keeps you humble. How often, I mean, we all get this principle, right? Take anything you're good at. If you've been in a position where now you have to go to somebody else for that thing, like if you're in leadership anywhere, often this is the case, right? You, you, you have a responsibility, you hand it off, and eventually that other person, you know, it's fully theirs, and then you have a question, you've got to go back and, oh, can you do this for me? It's, it's humbling, right? Or they do it better than you now, <laughs> right? It's humbling. That's why. It's interesting, both Spurgeon and Paul, <laughs> both Spurgeon and Paul, <laughs> not saying Spurgeon was like Paul, but I, it struck me that Paul said that he was a man that was really a bad speaker. He said, I don't have a silver tongue like Apollos, right? The Apostle Paul, you remember he says this about himself? He says, I'm not lofty of speech. He wasn't very attractive to look at. Kind of reminds us of Jesus, right? Isaiah? suffering servant? Why would God have men like that preach the word rather than, you know, another means? Well, it kept the listeners humble. And you remember, God is opposed to the proud. God will not do anything if, you're, if you come at him with a proud heart. You understand? So humility is like 101 here when we're approaching his word. So hearing it from another man helps you remain humble. And it also helps the man who has to preach it to those who are sometimes his betters stay humble as well. So Paul, the great one of the, I mean, who, who could have been more, if he wanted to, proud than Paul of his work and of his accomplishments for the church of Jesus Christ? And yet Paul had thorns in his flesh and he wasn't a good speaker and he, he wasn't attractive and he had to be the one pleading with people, with what God had given him. And that kept him humble, and it kept the people humble. I, was, I, I included Spurgeon because we call Spurgeon the prince of preachers now. That's kind of what people title Spurgeon. But you wonder, have you guys read a biography of Spurgeon ever? You know anything about his life? Um, I have, but it was a long time ago. So full disclosure, this came, I bought a book for Aaliyah called uh, The Father is, The Child is the Father of the Man or something like that. And it's on Spurgeon's life, and she was, we were talking about this, this idea at home one night, and she said, this is really fascinating because Spurgeon, in his later years, had 
almost crippling depression in anxiety, like very, very badly. Why? What was one of the things the book highlighted? He did not think that he was effective at all in his communication, which is just insane because everyone looks to him as one of the greatest preachers to ever live, and yet he didn't think that way of himself. And so you have humility working in both directions through the preaching of the word. Do you see this? Okay. Um, okay. Mm. Let's go on to sacraments. And then we'll make some, we'll do some takeaways. What are the sacraments in the Christian church? Abby Maser, what are the, what are the sacraments? Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Right. Uh, the Catholic Church has more. We do not. Baptism in the Lord's Supper. They're both means of grace. The sacraments are means of grace. So preaching, means of grace. Sacraments, means of grace. But like the term means of grace, um, sacraments is not a word that is found in the Bible. You ever think about that? Sacraments is not, it doesn't ever talk about the sacraments and use that word. So, what are the sacraments and who defined them as such? In other, in other words, why is the Lord's Supper a sacrament and not foot washing? Well, the Westminster Confession of Faith says this. The sacraments are holy signs and seals of the covenant of grace immediately instituted by God to represent Christ and his benefits and to confirm our interest in him, as also to put a visible difference between those that belong to the church and the rest of the world and to solemnly engage them to the service of God and Christ according to his word. I did not include that on your handout. I'm sorry about that. I could have that is sort of a, a, the little paragraph. I gave you the Westminster Confession on Baptism and the Lord's Supper, but this is speaking to sacraments. So let's break that down. I just read from the Westminster Confession. You probably didn't retain a whole lot of it. So let's just break it down, and maybe we'll just end there and then make some applications, actually. Um, first, the sacraments are signs. Signs. What does it mean that, that the sacraments are a sign? This is for you. How would you answer that? It's a sign that we are separating ourselves to Christ. Yeah, so you're saying they're actually visible, right? They're, 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 yes, that's true. It's a sign, a stop sign is something you see, right? They are visible signs. They teach us not with words, but with pictures. And we know that God generally teaches through words, but he has given us pictures to show, to represent. Okay, anything else? Okay, it's a display of uh, a personal confession of faith. And of course, we, to... to to become members and partake in the sacraments, we do have to confess our faith, right, before the, before the church, right? Um, that's true. Um, so in baptism, for instance, we, don't, uh, we do not hear about our cleansing, but we see and we feel it. So we're getting at this. It is something visible, tangible. It's not with words. It's with, it's with pictures, 
with images or whatnot. You see it. Um, <clears throat> the reformers used to say that sacraments are visible words. That was their, their way of summarizing it. They supplement the word by making, by showing it. It doesn't replace the word, but God has given it to us to come alongside the word and to, to be seen. Okay? So, sacraments are signs. We see them. Second, sacraments are seals. What does it mean that sacraments are seals? And if you're thinking, <laughs> flopping around, that's the wrong kind of seal, okay? Just want to make sure you're all with me. Yeah, and what's a beautiful picture that I used last time from your life personally? <laughs> Come on, man. Oh, uh, adoption, and what happens with that? You know, Octavio and Marlisa just had the pleasure of adopting their daughter. Yeah, Octavio has raised her, but they had the formal process um, recently. And we, some of us had the joy of being there. And as a part of that process, what do you do? Well, yeah, okay, that's what you do. But the judge, the judge does the seal, right? And there's a lot that's represented in that seal. Yeah. Right? It's a legal declaration. It's a legal declaration by God, right? Right. Right. And so sacraments are signs, we see them, and they are seals, right? That we enter into by faith in God and his promises to us. So signs, they're seals. Um, let's keep going. Let's break down what the Westminster Confession says. They're signs, they're seals of the covenant of grace immediately instituted by God. Okay, third. Signs, seals, third. Instituted by Jesus Christ. Instituted by Christ. We don't decide what they are. And we don't decide, frankly, how to use them. Right? How we use them is also instituted by Christ. We don't just sit around with our friends at home and decide to bust out the Lord's Supper right there. That's not appropriate. That's not the way that we see it handled in the Scripture. That's not the context that we deduce, right? So the sacraments and the way that we approach them is given to us by Scripture. Does this make sense? Fourth, and this is an important one, this is an important one. The Westminster Confession goes on to say that the sacraments put a visible difference between those that belong to the church and the rest of the world. The fourth thing about sacraments is that they divide. And nobody likes to talk about this, you know, and this is why often you don't hear any words of caution at all before the Lord's Supper, but you will hear right? The sacraments divide. That's why Christ gave them, right? The sacraments aren't just one for you, one for you, one for you, one for Hey, everyone's a winner. Well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. They divide. That's the point of them. They, they show a visible, going back, they're, they're signs, but they, they, they put a visible difference between those that are in Christ and those that are outside of Christ, right? Now, we all know that we, don't, we aren't sacramentalists here. We don't believe that by doing baptism or the Lord's Supper, participating in those things, it makes you a Christian. 
right? That's not, that's not what we believe. The scripture is clear that there were those that were really Israelites that did not love the Lord. And so we know today that there are really people here today that may be close to God or may be far off, but they're here, right? Uh, that's my timer, five minutes. Um, but the point is that the sacraments do divide and they show those that are in Israel or in the church or outside. And that's, that's one of the purposes that Christ gave them to us for. Um, finally, the sacraments serve to encourage and strengthen us in the work that God calls us to do. So that's the sacraments. Does anybody remember all five? Does anyone want to, want to go, for, go for the gold and, and say what the five things were? Silas. Pastor's College, pop quiz. Here we go. Signed, sealed, instituted by Christ, um, divide. Uh, uh, abort, abort. Encourage. Encourage. Woo! <laughs> He's a straight C student. Hey, and you know, you used to get degrees. I was going to say I was. <laughs> okay, listen, um, we're a few moments from closing. And so I guess what, the way this all worked out, we didn't, we were going to talk about baptism and the Lord's Supper, but maybe I was a fool to think we were going to get through all of it. So I'm sorry you have to bear with me. Remember what I said about preaching. I'm not the best teacher here. Um, let's make some application to ourselves. We've talked about preaching and the sacraments, generally speaking. And something that I said earlier is that um, it may seem like a funny thing. Um, or it may seem like, you know, God gives grace, and so, you know, we're not responsible. We don't, we're not responsible for how much grace we get from God. Oh, well, oh, well, you know, God sa it says God's given different measures of faith. You know, you ever hear somebody say that, or maybe you, 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 you say it yourself. I just don't have faith. I, I wish I did, but I, God hasn't given it to me. Well, we could take that approach with the, the grace of God, too. But there are those that make better use of the grace of God and worse use of the grace of God. Two men or ladies wake up in the morning and read the word of God and go away and one is filled and the other is checked off a, a, a box. You understand that? We can make better or worse use of the grace of God when we listen to his word preached, when we read his word, when we spend time in prayer, when we participate in the sacraments. I'm going through these different devotions that we've touched on briefly. There are those that receive more from them you understand that? There are those, to go back to the UPS analogy, that are getting the big old-fashioned UPS truck, not the small little tiny transit van they've been using recently. Right? We want to be those that are receiving all the grace that God has for us from these things. How do we do that? Not rhetorical. Well, Should have two hats. When you hear it, you get okay, be a be a doer of the word, not just a hearer, all right? Yeah, okay, James chapter 1. 
What else? Sorry. Humility. Great. Humility. Right. Don't, you know, when you, he- when you hear something preached or taught and it doesn't strike you the, uh, the right way, you know, oh, I don't know. How often are we all tempted just, th- you know, like say it's wrong and not consider it to throw up our defenses before just willing to reevaluate. Yeah. Be, before being willing to evaluate our own hearts or the way we're thinking about it. Come humbly. Okay, what else? To believe and also to like, expect the reward of what, we, what God is saying right here. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and does all that stuff that takes place mentally have any real effect on your life? I, it was a bad question. Bad question. <laughs> he, the, he, expectation really does change your life. Not just theoretically. It's not just a mental trip. If I come into Thanksgiving with my family and I have the expectation that we are going to have joy, it's going to be fun, it's probably going to be crazy and long, but we're going to have fun. You know what? I get to the end of the day and it's fun and I've had a lot of joy and I've created a lot of joy for my children, Right? If I have the expectation that it's going to be a bore and a snooze and this and that and the other thing, it's going to be that. So Jacob is saying, come with expectation. That is huge. We should expect great things from God. And And he tells us to. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Because he tells us to. It's not like I'm making up this expectation. No. I think hard enough and I, oh, I just, no, no, it's expectation based on his word. And based on the power that he promises he's going to give you and the, re- the reward. So mm-hmm. it's, it's not made up expectation, it's just accurate. Right. Right. Okay, what else? I think by, pro- oh, yeah, Craig, and then we'll, I'll give a couple of closing thoughts. Oh, it, just to approach it with, with a seriousness or a soberness to it. Okay, yeah a soberness and a seriousness about what we're engaged in. That ties in with one thing I was going to say that's very practical. We prepare for things that are important, right? Like if you're running a race, you act a certain way the day before, the night before, because you're running the race. Like if you're coming to hear the word of God preached with your family or you're you're involved in these things, how do you prepare? That's a very practical thing. But if we, are we preparing like we're going to receive something? Or are we preparing like, oh, what's, you know, every other detail in life that's going on has my mental focus and my attention, right? Um, oh, were you, no? I was going to say, if you're running a race, though, you wouldn't prepare just the night before. Sure. You would be. It's a life. Yeah. It, yeah, and if we, you know. It's a marathon, this is what we're living. Uh, yeah, or an ultra, or a hundred miler. I even know I have a friend. <laughs> I hate to call him a friend since he does that kind of stuff, but 100 miles. It's every day, right? Okay. We've had some good thoughts, and it's just after 10, so we're going to wrap up there. Um, But I'm going to ask, uh, Jordan, would you stand and pray and close us? Thank you for listening to Truth in Life. If you enjoy this series, make sure to subscribe. And remember, this is truth to live by.